Pastors Michael and Brenda Brunzo welcome you and thank you for listening to the following message. This message was recorded during a regular service at Faith Fellowship Church. The Bible tells us in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So we believe this message will encourage and strengthen you in your daily walk of faith. God bless you as you listen. Well, I'm a, I got a lot to say in a short time to say it, so if I go over a little bit, don't get mad at me. I know y'all can sit through a three-hour movie without even blinking your eyes. That movie's over, your eyes be so dry, you got to put Visine in them just to get them to blink again. So if I go extra 10 minutes, I'm not going to feel bad about it, amen? <laughs> but I know right now, based on some of the things I've been hearing, some of the things I've been listening to, some of the text messages we get, some of the things that people are saying and uh, feeling right now that uh, I just felt like I'd have to preach this message today to try to cheer some people up. I know nobody in this church is depressed, but there's people out there uh, that are just depressed with some of the things that's been going on and the outcome of some things. And I thought I talked about it before, but I don't think I said enough, you know, and uh, we're still disappointed and bewildered. Some are shocked, shamed, and humiliated at what happened and what's going on right now. But, hey, it's not over yet. Amen. And I believe the best is yet to come. And if you've been paying any attention to what's been happening in our nation right now, you might be wondering at this point, like I was, like, what in the world just happened? What is happening? You know, it's just happening so fast, and things are just going on around us, and uh, it's certainly not what we expected, or at least what I expected. It's not what I expected to happen. It's not what I expected to uh, be going on right now, but uh, nevertheless, it is. And I know some people have been wondering, you know, what happened to God and where is God now? Well, he's still there. He's in the same place he was when they uh, whipped his son and crucified his son. He ain't gone nowhere yet. Amen. And, you know, as we sit in the shadow of these things, and I know that, uh, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, and but a lot of us feel just speechless because we can't make sense out of some of the things that's going on and uh, some of the things that are happening. And as we look back on a lot of the events that's happened in the past month, it's, it's actually hard for us to comprehend. You know, I, I ask myself, why would people want something like this? Why would people want what's going on? Why would people want higher taxes and uh, the loss of jobs and all of this stuff, you know, and I'm not smart enough to figure that out, you know, but God is. And so I just have to put my trust in him in order for me to keep my sanity. I got to put my trust in God and just just believe that he knows what's going on. Nothing's catching him by surprise. Amen. And I think I can say with a great deal of certainty that we all had a certain narrative in our head that just never came about like we thought it would or should or could. But like I said a few weeks ago, I know for a fact that a lot of us, including moi, had some misdirected faith. Yeah, we had faith, but some of us had it in the wrong things and the wrong people. And, it, and that's why I say it was misdirected. Uh, we put a lot of faith in a lot of people, and uh, we should have been directing that faith towards God. And let him figure it out. Amen. I know that I did it myself. Well, if so-and-so steps up to the plate, it's over, man. I mean, all he has to do is this or that. And, you know, but I never once thought, you know, God, what do you want to do? 
who do you want to use? It may not be the one I want to use, or it may not happen the way I think it should happen. And, and I just didn't uh, lend that trust and faith to God. I put it in a man, and I got disappointed. And maybe a couple of you have too. And uh, we've learned that some men and women uh, uh, we were more or less counting on turned out to abandon us, forsake us, disappoint us. And I realized that if I put that faith in God, who promised that he would never leave us, forsake us, abandon us, that I wouldn't have come out of this thing as, I don't know, disappointed, I guess, as I, I don't want to say depressed. I'm not depressed, but I wouldn't have been as disappointed as I was, you know. I would have been saying, well, God, I missed that one. What's your next move, you know? Uh, but if you haven't realized it by now, let me tell you, when you lean on the arm of flesh and you don't trust in the Lord, and when we put our faith in a, a person, we're setting ourselves up for disappointment. And uh, disappointment never seems to fail us, you know, and because uh, people will let us down, people will disappoint us, people will fail us, abandon us, forsake us when we need them the most. Now, like what Jeremiah the prophet said, he said, Cursed with great evil is the strong man who trusts in and relies on frail man, making weak human flesh his arm. In other words, he's leaning on the, the arm of a man and whose mind and heart turned aside from the Lord. Now, I know I'm describing some people that are listening to me right now. And uh, most blessed is the man who believes in, trusts in, and relies on the Lord and whose hope and confidence the Lord is. And so that's where we need to be. I know that, you know, we lean on the arm of flesh and we got disappointed and uh, we got hurt and, uh, you know, some evil come out of it. But it says when we lean on God's arm, we're blessed. And so uh, God promised he'd never leave us, never forsake us. And I know it seems like at times that we can't feel him and it, it seems like he's forsaken us or abandoned us or forgot about us. But I guarantee you he hasn't. He knows exactly where we're at. And even in the times when we feel like he's abandoned us, he's there. Yes. Now, I can't say that for everybody else because sometimes, you know, we'll abandon him. But he never, never abandons us. No matter how we feel, no matter what it looks like, God is right there. And the reason I'm saying all this is because I feel like we, we need to redirect our faith, cheer up a little bit, and uh, we need to start leaning on the arm of God, trusting in God, knowing that he has everything under control. And I know a lot of people are giving up and quitting too soon. As a matter of fact, that's a uh, title of my message this morning, Are We Quitting Too Soon? How many knows you can quit too soon? And a lot of times when we quit, right at the point we give up, we're standing on the very threshold of our victory. We're just about ready to step across uh, into victory, and we quit. We give up. And I know for a fact that millions of Christians, including myself, thought that we were going to have like a last-minute Red Sea moment. I mean, we had the Red Sea before us, 
Pharaoh behind us with his armies, and we just knew that we were going to have a Red Sea moment. God was going to split the Red Sea, and we were going to walk across on dry land, and he was going to uh, cause the enemy to drown in the, the ocean when he closed the waters back up. And it didn't happen that way, and it disappointed us. Amen. As a matter of fact, Pharaoh's army seemed to have overran us. And I'm telling you, some people had to be scraped up off the ground. You know, I mean, I'm using that figuratively, but that's the way they felt. They were so down about it that they had to be scraped up. And uh, some people even believe that God is judging and punishing our nation for its behavior. Now, you know, I, I preached it before and I still feel the same way. I don't believe God is judging anybody in the New Testament. He will judge soon enough, but he's not doing it now. And uh, I really can't find that type of judgment in the New Testament that we've seen in the Old Testament. And besides that, God doesn't uh, judge the righteous along with the wicked. And, uh, you know, if you want to look at real judgment, look at Noah's time. Noah's generation was judged. Look at Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah was judged. And someone says, right, that's what I'm talking about. And that's, that's why we're being judged, because we're just as bad. We're not just as bad. As bad as we are, we can't hold a candle to Noah's time or to Sodom and Gomorrah. And, uh, you know, I've heard it said, as a matter of fact, and probably you have too, if you've been listening and preaching any, any amount of time, that if God didn't judge this generation, I heard this 20, 30 years ago. If God didn't judge this generation, he would have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Anybody ever heard that? <laughs> Brother Hagin used to say, bless their darling hearts and their pointy little heads. <laughs> if, God, if God had to apologize, that would mean that he made a mistake. And God never made a mistake. He never will make a mistake. Amen. God don't have anything to apologize, uh, but we have to realize in Noah's day, the wickedness of man was covering the entire earth. And, uh, you know, their imaginations and the thoughts of their hearts was constantly on evil, the Bible says. And God said the earth was filled with violence and all men was corrupted. All flesh, everyone was corrupted except one man, and that was Noah. And so uh, that really, if you think about it, doesn't sound like the earth today. Yeah, we have some problems. We have uh, a lot of evil, a lot of wicked going on in the whole world, and even in this land, but it doesn't compare to the times of Noah, the generation that Noah lived in. And, and the reason it doesn't is because there's millions of Christians and good people, you know, you don't have to be a Christian to be good, and you don't have to be good to be a Christian. But there's millions of people like that that are in this land, and so they haven't lended their hearts and their imaginations and their minds continually on evil, like it was in Noah's time. But even back then, the Bible says that one man found grace in the eyes of God. One man was righteous, and that was Noah. Well, his, his other, his family, there was Noah and seven others, you know, they weren't righteous. Noah was the only one. They went along for the ride. Amen. So don't give up, mom or dad or 
an aunt or uncle that's got, you know, loved ones that ain't saved yet, that ain't got on the ark yet, that ain't, you know, in the house of God, you keep going. Uh, because that might be their only link to the ark. That might be their only link to God. But, uh, and don't get me wrong, because God is going to judge the earth. I'm not saying he, he never judges and won't judge again because of the New Testament. But he will judge the earth, and it's called the Great Tribulation. But before he does that, he's going to remove the righteous, those that found favor in his sight. He's going to remove them from off the earth because he won't judge the righteous with the wicked. Amen. And if you're born again and you're in Jesus and Jesus is in you, you've already been judged. You don't have to be judged again. Amen. And so God, God says it is going to be the time of Jacob's trouble. It's going to be the time of Israel's trouble. And Israel, along with the earth, is going to be judged, but it's for the purpose of saving. But we're not going to be here when they get judged again. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. There's going to be a catching away, the Bible says. And we call it the rapture, but the, the Bible doesn't have the word rapture in it. But it does have catching away. And based on biblical pattern... God never judges the righteous with the wicked. I haven't found it in the Bible. And, uh, you know, after the, the rapture, then the earth will be like it was in the days of Noah. That's when the hearts and minds of men will continually be on evil and all flesh will be corrupt because the righteous have just been removed. And I'm not saying people don't get saved in the tribulation. They do. But right at that moment when the church is caught away, that's all that will be left on the earth is evil and wickedness and darkness. And another example is when God judged uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. They were so vile and corrupt that God came down to earth to see for himself. That's got to be pretty bad. God said, I got to see this for myself. I'm going down there. And God come to earth. And on the way there to Sodom and Gomorrah, he stops to visit with his friend Abraham, and he had dinner with him. And he told Abraham what he was getting ready to do because he said, Shall I hide from Abraham, my friend, what I'm about to do? And he says, No, I won't. I'm going to share it with Abraham. And so Abraham, as soon as God told him what he was going to do, Abraham starts interceding for Sodom and Gomorrah, much like the church has been doing for our country. They've been interceding. And Abraham asked God in Genesis chapter 18, will you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? And uh, he says, what if there's 50 righteous within the city? Will you still destroy it and not uh, spare it for the uh, or not spare the place for the 50 righteous that are there? Abraham said, I know not I guess, not I think. He says, I know you won't slay the righteous with the wicked. I know that the judge of all the earth will do what's right. How many times have you got to ask yourself that question or, or, or make that statement? Because there's times when we question God. Amen. Uh, just like we have in the last month or two. And, and, and we have to understand, we have to know that he's righteous. We have to know that he's going to do what's right. And Abraham knew that. And so the Lord says, all right, Abraham, if I find 50 righteous within the city, he said, then I will spare it for their sake. Whose sake? The righteous sake. 
And so Abraham obviously didn't think there was 50 righteous in the city, so he continued to intercede. And he says, what if there's only 45 righteous, Lord? Will you still destroy it for the lack of five? And the Lord said, if I can find 45, I won't destroy it. 45 what? Righteous people. So Abraham was, uh, continued to plead for Sodom and Gomorrah. And the reason he did is because he had a nephew that lived there by the name of Lot. And so he asked again, what if you only find 40, Lord? I won't destroy it. How about 30? I won't destroy it. How about 20? If I find 20, I won't destroy it. Lord, he says, peradventure. He knew the Lord might get impatient with him. He says, peradventure, if I may be bold enough. What if you only find 10 righteous? The Lord said, Abraham, if I find 10 righteous, I won't destroy it for the sake of 10. And so I don't know, for some reason, Abraham quit interceding at 10. No one really knows why. Maybe he thought that surely there has to be 10 righteous people in a big city like that. And, and, but apparently there wasn't because God did destroy it with fire and brimstone. But even in that, God did show mercy on Abraham's nephew, Lot. And Lot's family was a little wild, too. They were not righteous. One person. It turned out to be only one person in that city that was righteous, and that was Lot. Again, the family went, around, went along for the ride. Amen? So he allowed Lot and his family to escape judgment. As a matter of fact, two, es two angels escorted them out of the city. They had an angelic escort. And, you know, one of the first questions I'm going to ask when I get to heaven, just one of them, I'll probably be asking questions for millions of years, but one of them is going to be, what if Abraham kept praying, Lord? Would you have spared it for one? I think I know the answer. I think God would have spared it for the sake of one. And that's my whole point. Sometimes we quit too soon. Abraham quit too soon. And I think that the Lord would have spared Sodom and Gomorrah, not only spared it, but he would evangelize, evangelize it like he did Nineveh, and, uh, had Abraham kept praying. But it's just speculation right now. Amen? But here's my point. I know one thing for sure. There's millions of righteous people uh, in the world and millions of them in this country that are interceding for this country and praying for this country, and God is not going to judge it, and he's not going to destroy it, and he's not going to allow punishment or judgment to fall on the righteous along with the wicked. I just know he's not. I can't find it in the Bible. It's not in God's DNA to do that. And I know that if he would spare the righteous, Noah, uh, just one out of the whole earth, then he'll spare us. I know if he'll spare Lot out of the whole Sodom and Gomorrah, he'll spare us. Amen? So don't think we're being punished. We're not. We're not being punished. As a matter of fact, I don't believe we're under judgment. I believe we're under discipline. I know that's a bad word for some people, but we're, we're being disciplined. And how many know before you get disciplined, especially by the Lord, you had to have had, to, had done something wrong? Amen? And so we're being disciplined at this time. God gave us four years to do what's right, and the church failed to do it. We did some things right. We got some things accomplished. But uh, in the last four years, there's been more division in the church than there has been unity. And I don't know the statistics for sure. I'm just guessing. I'll tell you a wild guess and say, 
the church is split about equally with the nation right now, about 50-50 right down the middle. And God is not pleased with that. And so we didn't learn what we should have learned in the four years that we had, the four years, I call it a reprieve, you know, from previous years and things that we've gone through. And we didn't learn, we didn't repent, and we didn't learn the lessons that we should have learned. And so now we're under discipline. And I believe we're going to be under this discipline for at least another two years, especially for the church. Because I don't care who you voted for. I don't care what your political beliefs are. We're all going to suffer the same. If the taxes go up for me, they're going up for you. I went to the gas station the other day. It cost me $40 to fill my gas tank. And it hasn't cost me that much money in the last three years. And I know it's going to cost everybody else $40 to fill their, their gas tank, you know. And, and, you know, no matter what happens, it's going to happen to all of us, no matter how you voted. So this is not a political thing. This is not a who you voted for thing. Uh, you know, either you made the right choice or the wrong choice. And in this next couple of years, you're going to come to realize which choice was right and which one was wrong. Amen. Let him that hath an ear hear what the church is saying, what the Spirit is saying to the church. So I believe we're going to be under this discipline, like I said, for at least two more years. And then we're going to be reevaluated. And if necessary, the discipline will continue for another period of time, whatever that might be. And, you know, I love the explanation that Mario Murillo gave. He's one of the guys that I'll listen to. He's one of the guys I have confidence in. And he's, he's, he prophesies, but he's not a prophet. But he gave this explanation in his blog a few days ago, and he referenced 2 Kings chapter 13 about a prophetic prediction. Joash was a king of Israel at that time, and he's facing the doom of the Syrians. And so he beseeches God for help. He prays and he asks God for help. And, and much like the church has been doing. And Elisha told the king, he says, take a bow and arrows. And he said to the king, take up the bow. And Joash picked it up. And Elisha put his hands upon the king's hands. You know, it's kind of like when, you know, we're teaching our kids maybe how to shoot a bow and arrow or shoot a gun or something. We'll put our hands on their hands to show them the proper position. This is kind of like what Elisha was doing with Joash, the king. And Elisha said, open the windows to the east. You know, Pastor Flint preached a good message, uh, uh, the pastor in Freeport, Illinois, about things that go on in the east, you know, and eastern things. And uh, there's, uh, there's a lot of significance with east. You know, Jesus is going to return from the east, and there's a lot of significance there. But then Elisha says, shoot, and Joash shot, and Elisha said, the Lord's arrow of victory the arrow of victory over Syria, for you shall smite the Syrians in Aphek until you have destroyed them. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. What a wonderful prophetic utterance. And then Elijah told the king of Israel to, he says, take the arrows and strike them on the ground. And the king struck them one, two, three times and quit. And Elisha told the king, uh, of Israel, he says, uh, 
You shall smite the Syrians in Aphek until you have destroyed them. Then he told him to take the arrow, strike the ground. He strikes them three times. And the man of God was angry with him. Why? He did what he told him to do. And he said, you should have struck it five or six times. And because uh, if you would have, you would have struck down Syria until you had destroyed it. Oh, wait a minute. I thought he already said he was going to destroy it. But now you shall strike Syria down only three times. See, God looks to the future. This is not just this immediate problem is not the only problem that we have. And God knew that this was not going to be their only battle with Syria. And that's the battle that God said he'd have victory over. But by Joash quitting too soon, he lost the fullness of that promise and the fullness of that victory because there's going to be other times he'll face Syria and he won't be successful in defeating them. So he says, now you shall strike Syria down only three times. And, and, you know, a lot of times we think three is enough, but maybe we have to strike them down five times and we quit too soon. So first, Elijah prophesies the complete destruction of Israel at Aphek. And he says, you shall smite the Syrians in Aphek till you have destroyed them. But the king failed to seize the promise in its fullness for all future victories against the enemy. And so rather than striking the ground repeatedly, Joash made a half-hearted effort. And, you know, there's a lot of times when the Lord tells us to do something, we should do it with more zeal than what we do it with. And we should really get excited about it. And, you know, he didn't say one time, two times, three times. Joash decided that. But I'm telling you, he should have just been beating them arrows on the ground till he wore them out. And he would have taken care of all future battles with the enemy as well. But he didn't. He quit soon. And the promise, though as valid as it was through the prophet uh, Elisha, uh, it said, but now you shall strike Syria down only three times. Why? Because he quit too soon. And here's what Albert Barnes' commentary said. God had been willing to give the Israelites complete victory over Syria, but Joash, by his non-acceptance of the divine promise in its fullness, had put in check the outflow of mercy, and the result was that the original promise could not be fulfilled. God's promise couldn't be fulfilled. Why? Because of what man did. And, you know, I believe this is exactly what the church did. The past four years was the church's window, and we fired the arrows of victory, but when we were told to strike the ground with the arrows to secure the promise, we failed, just like King Joash, and we didn't strike it enough for complete victory, and that's why we only got a partial victory. Amen. But him that hath the ear... So half the church is walking around as if we've been defeated. But I believe the, door, the, the Lord is going to open up another window. And he's going to give us another bow and some more arrows. And I don't know who or what that bow is going to be or the arrows. But he's going to give us another opportunity to not only fire the arrows of victory through the window that's facing the east, but he's also going to give us another opportunity to strike the ground with those arrows. And I hope we learn our lesson. Amen. But this time we have to be sure to strike the ground enough times for complete victory. 
And you got to admit, we laid back on our laurels. And here's the bad part about it. We knew it. We knew what happened was going to happen before it happened. We knew it. I heard it on the news. I've seen, I've seen it in articles and blogs. They said exactly what was going to happen, and we still let it happen. The church still let it happen. But I'm telling you, it's far from being over. And we aren't even close to being defeated. And I pray we don't quit too soon the next time. And, and I believe we're being chastised just like Joe asked because we failed to strike the ground enough times. Uh, we failed to stay at it long enough. And the last four years was an opportunity for us to advance the kingdom. I'm not, this is not political. I'm not talking about a political party or anything like that again. I'm just saying we had a chance under that peace that our last president brought to this country. We had a chance to advance the kingdom of God, and we failed to do it. We failed to do it. And there were a lot of good things accomplished in the last four years. Uh, you know, I'm not saying everything was bad, but there's also a lot of things that we should have and could have accomplished, but we didn't do so. And even with all the opposition, we still could have did a lot better than we did. Amen. I mean, there's no lack of things that we could blame. But let me ask you something and just answer this in your mind. Don't raise any suspicion with your neighbors around you, but what have you changed in the last four years? What have we changed in the last four years? And uh, what could have or should have changed but didn't? We all might have different answers to that, but we all have an answer. So now I believe that we're in a period of Discipline and preparation. Preparation. Why? Because we failed to accomplish what we should have accomplished in the last four years when we had the chance. We weren't prepared for the next four years that God wanted to give us. Amen. We didn't learn to trust in the Lord with all our heart and lean not on our own understanding or the arm of flesh. And we didn't learn in all our ways to submit to him so that he could make our paths straight. We didn't do it. We failed to do it. And the bottom line is that the Lord sees the whole picture. We had tunnel vision. We are looking through a glass darkly, but God sees it all. <clears throat> So he sees past this year, past next year, past the next four years, past the next 10 years. He's got the big picture. He's got the whole picture. And he sees where we would go when we make him the leader of our country, when we make him the king of our country. No matter what man is sitting in the White House, it doesn't make any difference. God will use him as long as he's our king and he's our president. And all we can see is what appears to be defeat. And, uh, and people say, yeah, but the prophets said. And, you know, I say this, quit blaming the prophets. They're not perfect. But I'm going to tell you, in all that they prophesied, they were at least 90% correct. And the other 10% remains to be seen. So don't be hard on the prophets. Keep your mouth off the prophets. They did better than you would expect. 
The thing they predicted happened. But we didn't strike the arrows hard enough or long enough to get the full promise. Let him that hath the ear. And, and you know, we think we lost because we're looking at a glass that's half empty instead of half full. And as bad as it looks right now, it's really not as bad as it seems. If you look for good, you'll find it. If you look for evil, you'll find that as well. Uh, God says we'll, we'll have what we seek. So sometimes we're seeking the wrong things. And uh, uh, let's look at some things in a positive way. Let's look at the glass as being half full instead of half empty. The Senate, for example, it could have been split 60-40, but it was only split 50-50. And two of those seats, at least two, maybe three, are up for election in 2022. Not as bad as we thought. And then uh, there was something like a 40-seat majority in the House. And now there's a seven-seat majority in the House. We had a president lose the election and yet gain seats in the House, which ain't real unusual, but that many seats is unusual. You know, it's no secret I'm a conservative. You know, you can call me a Republican if you want. It doesn't make any difference. But I am a conservative no matter what. They're titled, entitled by the, or titled by the world. I'm a conservative. And uh, I know for a fact that 27 conservative seats were up for election in last November, and we didn't lose one of them. So, you know, things might seem bad, but they're not as bad as you think they are. And in addition to the Senate seats that are up for grab. In 2022, there's enough seats up for grab in the House to more than turn the tables and majority. And I'm predicting, not prophesying, God forbid, I'm predicting that uh, conservatives are going to take back the House or take back the Senate and win the House in 2022. Just my prediction. And again, you know, we go back to the prophets. Yeah, they said this and they said that. And God said this, but it didn't happen. Yeah, but did you know that God doesn't always get what he wants? Now, when I told Pastor at that, she was, I seen her eyebrows raised like this. You know, and, but, you know, put the rocks down. Let me explain. But this is, this is why I refuse to badmouth the prophets, because the prophets prophesy God's heart, uh, but it's the heart of the people that determine the outcome. See, there's this terrible thing called free will, and we can even outwill God if we want to. God won't override our free will. So even though we know what he wants and we know what his heart is, if our heart's different, we, we go another way. And that's kind of what happened. In 1 Samuel chapter 8, it's a perfect example of this uh, and what I'm talking about. And there's plenty of other places in the scripture. I could give you other examples, but we don't have time for it. But I can show you examples where God didn't always get his way. Just real quick, you know, uh, God told Israel to go into the promised land and possess it, for he has already given it to them. Did they go in? No. 
Was it God's heart that they go in? Yes. But was it their heart to go in? No. God didn't get what he wanted, did he? And here in 1 Samuel chapter 8, it says, When Samuel the prophet was old, he made his two sons judges over all of Israel. But his sons didn't walk in the ways of the Lord. They went astray over ill-gotten gain. They compromised the word of God and perverted justice by promoting their own little kingdoms over God's kingdom. And they were even taking bribes. Imagine that. As a result, the people lost confidence in the leadership. They lost confidence in the church. And they come to Samuel, the prophet at Ramah, and said to him, look, man, you're old and your sons don't walk in the same way that you walk. So we want you to appoint us a king to rule over us like all the other nations. In other words, the church let him down. And as a result, they voted to have a king to take the place of God. Let him who hath ears to hear, hear. And the Bible says it displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to rule over us. Why? Because God was their king. So Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, listen to the voice of the people, for they have not rejected you, they have rejected me that I should not be king over them. So God said, they're, they're doing to you just like they've done to me ever since I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, rejecting and forsaking and rebelling against me. Not you, Samuel. They're rebelling against me. Not the church. They're rebelling against me. And they want to be ruled by an earthly king. But he says, so listen to their voice, but solemnly warn them what life is going to be like under this new king. It's not like it caught them by surprise. They knew. God showed them. God told them what life was going to be like under this new king. So in other words, he showed them exactly what it was going to be like if they rejected God and chose this king. And the church knew, yet half of them rejected God let him who hath an ear. So Samuel told the people, he said, this is the way it will be under this king who shall reign over you. Make no mistake about this now, people. This is how it's going to be. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. In other words, he's going to have a draft and he's going to dominate your life. Life as you know it that will not exist anymore. He will appoint commanders over the people and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and equipment for his chariots. In other words, he will be a taker and not a giver. He will take your daughters to be perfumers, cooks and bakers. He will take your fields. He'll take your vineyards. He'll take your olive orchards, even the best of them, and give them to his servants. He's going to make his servants rich. He will take a tenth of your grain and he will take a tenth of your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. In other words, he's going to raise your taxes like you can even imagine. He will take your men and women and make them 
his servants and the best of your cattle and your donkeys and have them work to his advantage. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves shall be his slaves. He's a taker and not a giver, this king. And isn't it funny they didn't want to do these things for God or even pay tithes, but now they're willing to do the same things for this taker that they chose over God. We won't pay a 10% tithe, but we'll pay a 35% tax. You still want this king? Yes, we will have a king over us. They said we will have a king over us. After everything I told you, yes, we will have a king over us. We want to be like all the other nations. And we want that king to govern us and go out before us and fight our battles. What has God been doing all this time? Plus, God ain't a taker. He's a giver. But we will have this king. What they refused to realize is that they already had a king that did all those things for them and didn't take from them, but he gave to them. As a matter of fact, it was the very thing that made them different from all the other nations is that they had a God that provided for them. So then God said, I'll give you what you want. And then he said, but there will come a day when you will cry out because of the king you have chosen for yourselves but the Lord will not hear you then. Let him that hath an ear. And sometimes the Lord will give the people what they want just to show them that they should have appreciated what they had. Amen. And I'm telling you, you know, me and Pastor Ed been out of church for a couple of weeks and everything. And I, I always appreciated what we have, but I appreciate it even more now. Amen. We appreciate our church. We appreciate uh, you people, we appreciate uh, serving God and praising God and a place to worship God. You know, I don't have to lose it to learn how to appreciate it. But some people have to lose what they have so they'll learn to appreciate what they had, yeah. what they gave up. And but God said, I won't listen to you then. So in other words, you're going under discipline and you're going to have to learn your lesson before things change around here. And so the Lord tells Samuel, he says, Give them their king. So they got their king. And everything the Lord said about it was true. Everything he said would happen, happened. And the people were, above all men, most miserable. Now let me ask you a few questions. Is that what the Lord wanted for the nation of Israel? No. And in spite of all the prayers that Samuel prayed, in spite of all the prayers that the church has been praying, did God give them what they wanted? Yes. Did God get what he wanted? No. He was rejected by the people. Now, what's that have to do with our nation today? Let me preface what I'm about to say by looking at a scripture in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. Uh, you, you don't have to turn there. You probably know it by heart. It says, Behold, I, Jesus, stand at the door of the church and continually knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him, restore him, and he with me. In other words, that, that, uh, the King James says, I'll come in and sup with him. 
And it really has to do with covenant. He says, I will come in and I will make a covenant with you. If you let me into your heart, if you let me into your life, if you make me Lord of your life, I'll make a covenant with you. I'll sup with you. And it's a shame that the Lord has to stand outside the door of his own church and knock and wait for somebody to open it and let him in. I even noticed in that little painting that they have of the doors, uh, the Lord standing in front of the door and knocking. If you look at that painting real close, you will see there's no doorknob on the outside. And I'm going to let you in on a little secret. God's not going to kick it down. You have to open the door to your heart or he ain't coming in. But the, the, the thing that he has to stand outside the door of his own char- church and knock just to see if anybody would open it, that just, that's mind-boggling to me. But what it's saying is that the Lord will not go any place that he's not wanted, including some churches. And I'm telling you, there have been some church doors that the Lord has been knocking on for a long time, and they won't let him in. And our nation, for the most part, has been a God-fearing, God-loving nation pretty much since its inception, since its birth. And our nation is built upon the foundation of Judeo-Christian principles and values. And because of that, I believe that this has been and continues to be and will continue to be the most blessed nation on this earth. Bar none, we're the most blessed nation. Bad as it is, we're the most blessed free nation on this earth. And I don't know about you, but I want it to stay that way. And I'm willing to fight for it. Amen. I write my congressman. I just got a letter from Rand Paul yesterday or day before yesterday acknowledging my letter to him. I write him all the time. I let him know. And and that's all. That's the only way we can fight right now is in the spirit and prayer and by Voicing our opinion. And I know a lot of people think that, well, there should be separation of church and state, but it's not what you think. It's that that law was written, that amendment was written to keep the government out of the church and not the church out of the government. We do have a voice. We're 50 percent of this country and we should uh, let our voice be heard. How do they know what we want if we don't tell them? They're not going to guess. And, and it's when we start putting pressure on the legislatures and they know that their paycheck is going to be threatened in the next election, they're going to listen to us. Amen. Amen. But, you know, it appears that at least for the last 50 or 60 years, our nation as a whole has really pulled away from those principles and values and has actually been begin to push God out of our nation. And and that includes a large part of his church that has been pushing the churches that he's been knocking on the door of and can't get in. They pushed him out. And that's why he's standing on the outside knocking. As a matter of fact, I believe the secular majority in this nation, those that don't believe in God uh, and they have not just gradually pushed God away. They've actually shoved him and told him to get out. The church is a little more subtle than that. They just won't open the door. They say, get out. We don't want you. And in the book of Isaiah, chapter 5, the Bible says that the Lord planted a vineyard that he really loved. And it says he even wrote a song about it. 
And, you know, as much as I love Pastor Ed, I, I sang a few songs too, but I ain't never wrote a song about her. So the Lord must have really loved this vineyard to write a song about it. And he says, now I will sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved touching his vineyard. My well-beloved hath a vineyard in a very fruitful hill. And then he put a hedge of protection around this vineyard that he loved so much. And, and yes, God does believe in walls. And he tilled the ground and planted it with the choicest vine. He didn't buy what was on sale. He bought the best vine. And he built a tower in the middle of it. And he also made a wine press because when he figured when he starts harvesting them grapes, he's going to make some wine, some new wine. And he, he looked for his land to bring forth choice grapes, but it brought forth wild, bitter, good-for-nothing junk grapes that weren't even edible, let alone make wine out of them. And so the Lord wasn't pleased with it, so he said to his servants, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll tell you, uh, what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I will take away the hedge thereof, that wall of protection. I'll take away the hedge thereof and allow it to be eaten up and I'll break down the wall thereof and allow it to be trodden down, trodden underfoot. And then he said, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, those that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. He said, Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Let him that hath an ear. Of course, the vineyard he planted represented the nation of Israel, and the grapes were his chosen people, the Jews. He wanted them to be fruitful, but they turned on him and became bitter, ungrateful, unfruitful. And so he pulled down the hedge of protection and left them to their own devices. God doesn't have to judge a nation. All he has to do is take away the hedge, break down the wall, remove his hand from that nation and his hand of protection and leave those who call evil good and bitter sweet and dark light Leave them to their own devices, and eventually they'll be punishment enough for themselves. Let him that hath an ear. And God said through the prophet Ezekiel, I saw for a man among them, just one man, that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land. In other words, I look for one man that would make up the hedge or prepare the breach that's in the hedge and stand in the gap in intercession for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found how many? None. None. That's a land that needs to be judged. When God can't find one righteous in the land, one person that will stand up and, and make up the hedge and stand in the gap and intercede for that land, that land needs to be judged. He found none. What a sad commentary. God should never have to seek out one man when he has a whole church in the earth. And yet he can't get nothing accomplished. Well, he can't get some things accomplished. But he has a church that should be making up the hedge and standing in the gap for this land. And I think we've done a good job of it up to and right after the election. But have we quit too soon? 
Are we still praying like that? Are we still praying for a great awakening, not only in the nation, but in the church first? And I'm not sure exactly how these next couple of years are going to play out, but I do know one thing for sure. I know that my God is more than able to save our nation. And I'm not saying he's saving it from a a political party. I'm saying he's going to save it from evil and wickedness. I don't care who it's coming from, what party it's coming from. But no matter what happens, and here's what we need to learn. No matter what happens or how it happens, I personally will choose to trust in him and him alone. He can use whoever he wants to. And, you know, I'll, I'll be able to see the man that he chooses or doesn't choose. But I'm not putting my faith in that man. It's not about a Trump or a Biden or a Ted Cruz or, or a Cory Booker or anybody else. It's about God. You let him decide who, what, when, where, how, and why. And you just pray. You just pray that God have his will done in the earth as it is in heaven. That's our job. Amen. It's not our job to judge. And that's why God doesn't judge us as often as people think that he does, because God wants us and he's given us the opportunity to judge ourselves. He said, if you judge yourself, I won't have to judge you. And so uh, what he's saying is the ones that don't judge themselves, eventually they're going to be facing judgment. But it's not going to be along with the righteous. Amen. So I will choose, no matter what happens, to trust him. I'll choose to praise him. And I choose to bring him as much glory and honor as I possibly can by keeping a positive attitude, sticking to the word of God, and looking at the glass as half full rather than how I have been looking at it half empty. I will not fear. I will not give up. And I will not quit. And if I don't do that, I won't be defeated. I forget who said it, but he said that uh, I'll give you two things that will make you successful in life. And they never fail. He says, get started and don't quit. Get started and don't quit. You'll never fail that way. Amen. Let's stand up. Let's pray. Hallelujah. I didn't go as long as you thought I was going to go on. <laughs> I think I said what needed to be said, though. There's some things in there you might have to <clears throat> meditate on a little bit and go over them again or listen to it later. But ask the Lord to reveal some of the things to you that you may have missed, some of the things that I couldn't mention for obvious reasons. But And, and you know, I just want to say this about Facebook. I appreciate you, Facebook. I'm glad that we have a a venue where we could reach out, but I know a lot of people are posting all this pro so-and-so stuff and negative stuff about this and that, and I've even heard them say that, you know, uh, you say you've been censored and you say that you can't get certain things, say certain things on Facebook, but I don't have that problem. All my posts are getting posted. That may be true, but if you got a thousand friends and you're only reaching ten of them, yeah, you're... <laughs> Your posts are getting posted, but they ain't going very far. I'm going to tell you right now. Check with all your friends. Say, ask them how many you got this post. You'll be surprised at the lack of, uh, I don't guess, outreach that you have if you're being watched and censored.
But praise the Lord anyway. I thank God for the ones that we can reach. I hope it helps, helps at least them. Father, we thank you and we praise you. Lord, I pray that we've learned a lesson from this past couple of months. I pray that we've learned the lesson that we should have learned in the last four years. I, I, I'd hate to get to the middle of 2022 and fail again. I just believe, God, that you, this is in your hands. We just turn it over to you. God, we're not looking to man for our salvation. We're not looking for a man to save us. We're not looking for a judge to save us. We are looking to you. We are going to lean on your arm. We're going to lean on you, Lord. We're not going to lean on the arm of flesh anymore because it fails us too many times. Thank God for the men and the women that you use, Lord. But it's up to you who you want to use. You know the hearts of men. And we've seen here in the past few months that uh, some men's hearts just melted and failed. Some men's hearts didn't stand up to the test. We couldn't see that because we looked on the outward appearance, but you've seen it. So, Lord, we're going to pray to you, and we're going to intercede for this nation. We're going to pray for our politicians, just like you told us to, our leaders and those in authority. But, God, we're not going to pray for their wicked plans to uh, be successful. We're going to pray that they, A, a get saved. And we're going to pray, Lord, that you would watch over them and protect them and interject godly wisdom into them every chance that they give you. And we're going to pray that they do only that which is righteous, only that which is pleasing in your sight. And if they get off and away from that, we're not praying for them in that area, Lord. We're going to pray for their well-being and their souls, and that's it. So we just leave it all up to you, Lord. We should have left it up to you a long time ago. But I think we're learning our lesson. And if we haven't, we're going to learn it in the next year or so for sure. But we just appreciate you so much. We love you so much, Lord. We just know that you're going to do what's right for this land. We know that you love this land. We know that you have your eye on this land just like you did Israel because there is no other country that has dispatched more missionaries and pastors and evangelists and teachers than this country right here. This is, a, this is the hub of the wheel of salvation, the wheel of the gospel being preached in all the world. And we know that this land is pleasing in your sight. And we know that there are righteous people and good people in this land, and you will never judge them with the wicked. And we thank you and we praise you for it. Look forward to the next couple of years, the next four years, and until Jesus comes, Lord, we're going to rejoice in you. And we thank you and praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you guys. God bless you, Facebook, for listening today. Uh, if you thought this was worthwhile, then go ahead and hit the share button. If you know somebody that needs to hear a message like this, just share it with them and let them know. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening. We pray that it's been a blessing to you. For more information about FFC or its ministries, please contact the church office. God bless you, and remember, Jesus is Lord.